Leave me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just wanna start a flame in your heart. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Lots of rumors, rumors of war, rumors of everything, rumors, rumors, rumors. And um, I think it's important for us to remember that we're supposed to hate rumors, right? We're supposed to be waiting to see how it all pans out. Now, there were two things that could have happened today, uh, but I guess the other one did, which is great. But it also opens up your eyes to understand just who, I mean, have you ever asked yourself, why is it that it's always journalists or aid workers that are getting arrested by foreign governments or executed? No one asked that question. Damn chartreuse. Um, so I wanted to um, pretty much, uh, first of all, tell you, I have joined Rumble. I'm going to be moving all my uh, videos there. That's because I don't know how it's going to pan out with YouTube. I'll still be on YouTube, but you can find my stuff on Rumble. I've just up uploaded the whole Shadowgate uh, documentary. Shadowgate won there where... It'll never come down because guess what? There, they don't silence free speech. So that way you don't have any weird links and uh, it's a clean site. So, um, and yeah, don't forget rumbles are called likes. So if you like what I put, please uh, push the, the, the rumble button, right? Is that how it goes? So um, yesterday the president gave an order. Um, he gave an order to declassify everything, including Hillary Clinton's emails. Ergo, if my president says that it's time to declassify everything, no redactions, I guess I can open my mouth now. And, you know, if you believe that um, there should be accountability, this is where you can demand it. Uh, this is the time that you can demand it. This is the time that you can showcase and flex your muscles and of what? Your muscles of, I am a shareholder in this nation. I demand accountability. I demand transparency. Transparency should have no, no political affiliation whatsoever because we are in charge. So uh, uh, I... Um, I'm very excited that this is happening because now people are coming out of the woodwork. People are coming out of the woodwork. So yesterday I thought I would just mention a few things. But the thing is, what people haven't understood is that I've been talking. It's just I've been talking in different ways. Now, I'm going to remind you just a little portion of things, and I'll skip forward. This is... Um, Millie Weaver's report from December 13th, 2019. Okay. I'm just going to play a little bit of the beginning, a little bit of the middle and a little bit of the end so that you can see. Okay. With the last few skirmishes being played out between the Trump administration and the deep state. 
But you would never know it because the mainstream media doesn't want you to know. And the alternative media is too wrapped up in infighting, engaging in cancel culture, etc. Many people are like, when are people finally going to be held accountable? It's actually happening right now, right in front of us. I was able to confirm what sources had alleged, namely that there really wasn't a whistleblower who had kicked off this impeachment inquiry and that the Intel Committee Chairman Adam Schiff was actually getting information from a wiretap. The alleged whistleblower and testifying witnesses with secondhand information were used to give witness testimonial credibility to ill-gotten information. This was verified by Schiff revealing telephone call information he had obtained on the president, his personal attorney Giuliani, the Intel Committee Minority Chairman Devin Nunes, investigative journalists like John Solomon reporting on the Ukraine, and others. The call information provided by Schiff in the impeachment inquiry more than suggested the what, where, and how Schiff had obtained the phone call records. Later that day, after I published my report, Laura Ingram had Sarah Carter on her show to discuss the developments regarding Adam Schiff's spying on the president. This is what they had to say. A knowledgeable source tells Ingram Angle tonight that not only did Schiff get dirt from the secret subpoenas that he sent to phone companies, he also got help from the NSA. So what we knew before three years ago when we discussed the expansion of the NSA under the Obama administration and how they allowed for basically spying on attorneys, spying on clergy. I mean, this is incredible. Spying on what on we what consider basis? privileged journalists. Now what we're seeing is that Adam Schiff has taken this to the next level. And what he did was then expanded that put it out into the report and then used all the secondary contacts that he wanted exposed, exposed. He got the help. He got help from AT&T and he got help from someone else in the government. Our sources are saying it's the NSA. Absolutely. That is exactly what I've been hearing too from my sources. It shouldn't be a surprise that when the president tweeted, where is the whistleblower? I quickly responded that according to my sources, the whistleblower may actually be a wiretap. The president tweeted two days later with, there is no whistleblower. If my source can be publicly writing and tweeting about it for the last two years now, obviously the president knows about it. Judge Collier, Judge Rosemary Collier, was the judge, the FISA judge, that signed off on the first FISA warrant. Why is she still sitting on a bench? She says the full scope of non-compliant querying practices had not previously been disclosed to the court. There was a preliminary um, discussion to see why they didn't dump the data for 72 hours. So here's where the cover-up begins. So at that point, it was time to confirm other information reported by our source. Since we are assuming there's no whistleblower and that there was continued electronic surveillance of the president and the people around him, how is this possible? The NSA 702 upstream. Mission of the intelligence community has morphed, giving them more data collecting authority. Order of national security. At the end of October, I think it was something like the 26th of October, and we informed the court 
we have a compliance issue here and we're concerned that there's an underlying uh, issue with the technical solution we put in place. We told the court we're going to need some period of time to work our way through that. The court granted us that time in, ex in return. The court also said we will allow you to continue 702 under the 16 authorizations, but we will not, will not reauthorize 17 until you show us that you have addressed this. November 30th, 2016, Obama nominates Robert Storch, who was working as deputy IG of the DOJ under Horowitz at the time. I'm Rob Storch, deputy inspector general for the U.S. Department of Justice. During the transition period from the Obama administration into the Trump administration. In April 2017, Storch, as deputy IG of DOJ, is offered a job by Ukraine to uncover corruption. Trump's people at the time, you know, all those swamp creatures he fired, had Trump nominate Storch as IG of the NSA, to which he was quickly confirmed. What they did essentially was create a way through now presidential appointed IG of the NSA office to hide their continued spying of President Trump. All right, let's go. Holy. It's the same at work. At NSA, it's up to you to report what you reasonably believe to be evidence of wrongdoing using authorized channels, which include the office of the NSA inspector general. Are you starting to see the trap that was set up for the president? It was only after Horowitz's report came out that Judge Collier rebuked the FBI in a total CYA move. However, this entire charade is a smokescreen to draw attention away from the fact that the relevant spying on the Trump campaign and now administration was occurring through over-collection, not the bogus Steele dossier. The Steele dossier is a cover story to hide the over-collection problem that is scheduled to go on until March of 2020. How the heck is Trump and his team supposed to go after the deep state while they're spying on him? Because the 702 upstream data collection system has gone rogue. Why do we have global private security firms that are operating in Beijing and Washington and Baghdad at the same time? And, and this is an entirely taxpayer-fueled ent entity. And everyone's entire collection of electronic communications are now accessible by an international intelligence consortium created by the retired spy chiefs globally. Yes, you, Global Strategies Group, but we will come back to you soon enough. A lot of this is done in a very hidden way. It's a very murky world. We had to sift through a lot of corporate records to find this corporate structure to figure out that Global Strategies Group, for example, is uh, registered in Luxembourg, not in England. Uh, it, there are subsidiaries of subsidiaries. Some of these companies are spun out, go public, go private again. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep track of them, and therefore, they're easily lost in the shuffle. That might be an advantage, right, if you're in the intelligence mm -hmm. game. Now, before I continue this, I just wanted to tell you, this is a report from 2019, and it was published in December of 2019. But, you know, obviously the work is done weeks in advance in order to be able to collate all the information put together, uh, these uh, videos. I highly suggest you go to Millennial Millie's uh, YouTube and look under a playlist that she has called Clues. 
What I'm demonstrating is not only is there a rogue source of intelligence, but there is another source of intelligence, something further in the background than the NSA, than the GSG, that hasn't been made public yet, that I can neither confirm or deny, that my source and the president may be working through to take down the deep state. Remember when President Eisenhower warned about the military-industrial complex? In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists. We must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. You don't think he may have set up something else in secret to monitor them, do you? On August 31st, 1960, Secretary of the Air Force Dudley Sharp, on orders from President Eisenhower, established the Office of Missile and Satellite Systems to direct the Air Force Satellite Reconnaissance Program officially established the management arrangements for the National Reconnaissance Program, which consolidated space and aerial reconnaissance projects under a covert National Reconnaissance Office. They are silent sentinels. They look and listen from the cold reaches of space. They capture signals and images critical to America's intelligence community, and much more. They are the satellites of the National Reconnaissance Office. America's eyes and ears in space. Which is why President Bill Clinton had them declassified in 1999. But what the deep state didn't know then. Okay, I wanted to show you this so you understand how uh, the government works. <laughs> Actual situation, as you can see. Apparent situation, as you can see. Now, Clinton was very, very, very upset because he didn't understand how people and what people were leaking information to Congress and the Senate. See, it started during the Clinton era. I mean, this whole rape allegation that turned into a mistress allegation this Ukraine signing, this treaty that he signed, this money that was going over there. All of these plans and plans and plans. Who was doing it? Well, the biggest black budget goes to one arm. Well, that's like a bucket, right? Bucket. Mm. So as you can see, there's always an actual situation and an apparent situation. Then, but has probably figured out now that declassification didn't capture all of it. Why do you think Space Force has emerged in the middle of all of this? Are you ready for some of the biggest information drops? Are you ready for President Trump's Christmas present and New Year's resolution? Stay tuned, there is more to come. All right, so now we're going to hop over to another one of Millie's report that is. Uh, quite important that you uh, see. Because, you know, for some reason, everyone thinks that now uh, everybody knows, oh, look, Hillary Clinton's emails. That's why she put President Trump and put him into the Russia hoax. Well, it could have been Cruz, too. Let's be honest, if they thought that Cruz was going to win. 
But see, this video, hold on, is from, let me see. I think she did it in January, this one. Yep, that was a follow-up, January 6, 2020. So I did a walkthrough video and told you when it all started, how the emails started, and we'll go through that. Because the Russia hoax was not only to ensure that they keep their seat, but it was more so a cover-up of her emails. And then it wasn't even the emails you saw. Because if you actually saw the emails, you would be in outrage. You would be tearing off your clothes and pulling out your hair. Because you know why? You'd be like, damn, I've been stupid. I have let them do this. Watch this. Well, let's take a closer look. But this time, let's actually see what the conversation was, who it was with, to see what the hacker seems to be so interested in. What would anyone care about what Tori and I are communicating about in private conversations? To go so far as to hack my phone? Why did they come to me now, three years later? I think I was pretty vocal. I heard the audio the day Seth Rich died. I repeat, I heard it. Why you come to me now? Three years later, why? Oh, it's because of the election fraud. It's because I told the world what you didn't want them to know. Oh, that. Well, that certainly explains why Tory received a subpoena in regards to a certain murdered DNC staffer. The DNC server debacle was never about Hillary or Podesta's emails, though those emails definitely revealed corruption and evil within the Democrat Party leadership at the time. The media's hyper focus on the emails actually serves as cover. You think it's just emails that a server holds on to? Come on, guys. It's got software programs. It's got firewalls, it's got passwords, it's got documents, it's got PDFs, it's got spreadsheets, it's got links to banking stuff, it's got links to how do you deploy stuff, deploying, how to meddle with elections, deploying algorithms. A lot of that stuff is currently with the grand jury. And the only reason I had tangible was because I sent that off to an acting attorney, um, General Whitaker later. I'm pretty sure that the evidence or documents you seek are attached to the Awan case. The real discovery was apparently election meddling software, memorandums of understanding, and commitments with other nations, collusion, bribes, and other nefarious activity, such as folders labeled insurance. In order to understand what really happened and how it pertains to these current events, we must first go back in time. On February 12, 2016, InfoWars reporter Richard Reeves filed a report where a Democrat superdelegate, Bob Mulholland, admitted on camera that the fix was in for Hillary Clinton. Hillary is going to have a huge edge when it comes to superdelegates. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. March 1st is Super Tuesday. At the end of the day, you will see that Hillary has the most delegates of regular people from caucuses like Iowa, from New Hampshire primaries, uh, Nevada, 
South Carolina, and then all those states on March 1st. So it wasn't a surprise that on Super Tuesday of 2016, Hillary Clinton won the Democrat primary. Big, big delegate day for Hillary Clinton. 449 delegates so far, still counting to just 273 for Bernie Sanders. So if you look overall, she is starting to build up a serious lead over Bernie Sanders. It'll be very hard. Has a bigger lead right now than Barack Obama had. However, this is where the DNC insider who leaked the mirrored copy of the DNC server comes into play. Allegedly, this DNC staffer knew that the DNC had stolen the primary from Sanders and might have been upset. We have won at this point 45% of pledge delegates, but we have only earned 7% of super delegates. So in other words, the way the system works is you have establishment candidates who win virtually all of the super delegates. It makes it hard for insurgent candidacies like ours to win. Hey, what's not to be upset about the realization that your elections are rigged? At the helm of this alleged primary election meddling was none other than former DNC chairman, Debbie Washerman Schultz. I, I mean, Bernie Sanders is wrong because we have had these rules in place since 1984 and we have two types of delegates we have the delegates that are pledged that are elected by you know voters or that represent voters based on the outcome and then we have party leaders and other elected officials who have been in the trenches for a long time and who have a role appropriately so in choosing our party's nominee and it's important to note that the unpledged delegates or super delegates have never played a role in actually selecting our party's nominee who resigned from her position after WikiLeaks began publishing what a DNC staffer had allegedly leaked to them. The chair of the DNC, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, has announced her resignation. It comes after those leaked DNC emails. Bernie Sanders supporters say the emails proved the party favored Hillary Clinton all along. Allegedly, it was in March that a DNC staffer started mirroring a copy of the DNC server. This individual was apparently trying to get evidence of the DNC stealing the primary from Sanders ahead of the Democratic National Convention in an attempt to save elections and democracy. By the end of March, beginning of April, the DNC knew their server had been mirrored. But by who? The law firm Perkins Coy, which is really indistinguishable from the DNC, blocked the FBI from getting the DNC server. And we can assume it's because there was incriminating evidence on the server. So they activated their assets and hired both Fusion GPS and CrowdStrike for damage control. They needed to find out who mirrored the DNC server and how. What they obtained from the server and stop it from being leaked. When we discovered the intrusion, we treated this like the serious incident it is and reached out to CrowdStrike immediately. Our team moved as quickly as possible to kick out the intruders and secure our network. At the beginning of April, the Dems were certain Trump was behind it because CrowdStrike loaded software onto the server to determine where the hack came from. The ability to rapidly install our technology, we see the tip of the breach being the endpoint. That's where the data 
uh, resides, the servers, the endpoints, the desktops, and that's what we're protecting. Only to discover it was a physical breach taken directly from the server, not a hack. They didn't yet know if it was a breach. They asked us to come in and evaluate. And within 24 hours, we're able to ascertain with our software deployed on all their machines. Still under the impression that Trump was behind the physical breach of the server, Fusion GPS started the oppositional research dossier as part of the parallel construction to get a FISA warrant on Trump. In this case, you know, a dossier on Donald Trump, um, probably the DNC has more information in its uh, files on its servers than any other organization that's been researching Donald Trump for an hour, uh, for, for a year, pardon me. Even though the spying on his campaign was already taking place to justify setting up the June 9th meeting at Trump Tower to see if they could find out which of Trump's people did it and how much they knew. The big question tonight is what did the president know about the meeting here at Trump Tower and when did he know it? The June 9th meeting at Trump Tower, which was a setup to one, see if Trump's people knew about what was on the server, and two, to set Trump's people up as a culprit given that at the time Trump's people indicated they didn't know what was on the server. That Russian lawyer insists that she did not come to Trump Tower here in New York to deliver damaging information about Hillary Clinton. She flew in specially from Moscow to meet with Trump's inner circle on the 25th floor of Trump Tower one floor below the office of Donald Trump Sr. Democrats in Congress tonight are asking how could he not know what was going on. And now tonight with the emails, yet another version of what was on the agenda here. Knowing there was a physical breach, but still believing Trump was behind it, the DNC and RNC servers were then both hacked. And the RNC should be worried as well, I imagine. So selective material could be leaked from the DNC while not leaking anything from the RNC to create the appearance that Trump was the beneficiary of the cover story hack. It was done in such a way as to make it look like Russians were behind the hack. Experts are telling us that uh, Russian state actors broke into the DNC. Experts are telling us experts have said that it is the Russians that in fact went in and took these emails. And a completely separate actor that penetrated that network in April of this year and went straight for the research department, the Democratic National Committee, specifically looking for the opposition files on uh, the Republican uh, presidential candidate, Donald Trump. And they were actually doing some of the same things repeatedly, not knowing that someone already had that information that they were after. Apparently, there were backdoor deals regarding the Uranium One scandal on the mirrored DNC server and fears of Hillary's involvement in the Uranium One deal would be surfacing during the election. This is where the Dems begin to point the finger at Trump and accuse him of collusion with the Russians they themselves were guilty of. May 2016, the cover-up and insurance policy begins. The now infamous FBI counter-espionage section chief, Peter Stroke, directed Priya Ayers, the acting general counsel of the United States Department of Energy, to not comply with the FOIA request regarding Uranium One. Thus, the midterm exams code for the FBI reopening the investigation into the DNC server leak was really about starting a cover-up to hide what was potentially going to come out if the mirrored DNC server was leaked. And 
Hillary's emails became code for election meddling software, memorandums of understanding, and commitments with other nations, collusion, bribes, and other nefarious activities such as folders labeled insurance. Anthony Weiner's computer, anyone? DC leaks, which was created to push the narrative that Russia hacked the DNC server to benefit Trump, is where the selective DNC leaks began, not WikiLeaks. We can say, um, we have said repeatedly uh, over the last two months uh, that our source uh, is not the Russian government uh, and it is not a state party. Around this time, Julian Assange knew that he and WikiLeaks were in danger Assange had the election meddling software, memorandums of understanding, and commitments with other nations, collusion, bribes, and other nefarious activity that came off the mirrored DNC server. At this point in time, the Democrats knew that Trump's people were not behind the physical breach at the DNC server, but had to cover up the physical breach with a fake accusation of the Russians hacked the DNC server, falsely claiming that the hack was Russia trying to help Trump to win the election. Everyone keeps thinking that it was about email, right? Everybody keeps thinking it was about email. Totally not. Is more nefarious than that. There were programs for rigging elections. The Dems also had figured out that it was a disgruntled DNC staffer, a Bernie supporter, who physically mirrored the DNC server. Well, you know, we saw a different type of data breach at the DNC six months ago when a Bernie Sanders staffer was found to have been able to access information that the Clinton campaign had, had developed on individual voters. The Clinton campaign had, had developed on individual voters. This is where Tory comes into the picture. I had SD cards, uh, two of them that I created, and they went straight to Sessions and Whitaker. I know for a fact from my sources that a lot of the stuff they're looking for is already in the Awan case. July 10th, the DNC staffer who allegedly mirrored the DNC server is murdered. Our whistleblowers go to significant efforts to get us material and often very significant risks. As a 27-year-old, I works for the DNC. We shot in the back, murdered. Although Assange would not say whether Rich was a WikiLeaks source, the organization is now offering a $20,000 reward. But was he one uh, of your sources then? I mean... July 22nd, WikiLeaks began to leak some of what allegedly came off the DNC server. July 31st, the open investigation into the Trump campaign supposedly colluding with the Russians begins. Things get very dangerous as the Obama administration was still in power, and Obama was cracking down on whistleblowers more than any other administration had ever done. Remember Edward Snowden? Remember Bradley Manning? That all happened under Obama's watch. So it wasn't until 2017 that enough smoke had cleared that Tory allegedly sent to Attorney General Jeff Sessions and acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker SD cards and the contents of the mirrored DNC server on them. You know what I was thinking when we saw that, Millie? I thought, you remember CrowdStrike that didn't have a federal government contract but supposedly found Russian spying, right? 
When a whistleblower leaked evidence of election meddling to my website, Tory figured out that it was the election meddling software found on the mirrored DNC server that caused all the commotion and wound up with a murdered DNC staffer. The Mueller report. Inside, a toxic cover-up. An Omaha family loses their son but has to stop wild rumors surrounding his death. Page 48 confirms a conspiracy theory built on blatant lies. Many have alleged that Seth Rich leaked the DNC's emails to WikiLeaks. This is a cover story and turns out to be false. The counter-narrative pushed by the mainstream media and corrupt individuals in the government is that the Russians hacked the DNC and leaked the emails to WikiLeaks. This is also false. Only because it wasn't about Hillary Clinton's emails. The back and forth between these two false stories is a smokescreen distracting away from something much more serious. The blogosphere was full of stories and political circles in Washington uh, were full of stories and, and speculation that the Russians had in 2014, two years before, hacked into her secret server and were therefore in a position to drop this stuff during the election. But that related to Hillary's server. So the FBI, what the FBI did is later, after the DC, uh, the, the the DNC hack and the dumping through Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia in July. WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks, yeah. WikiLeaks. By mixing up the Russians hacking Hillary Clinton's server in 2014 with the DNC leak of 2016, a perfect cover story and false counter narrative is born. The incumbent government used the apparatus of the state, principally the law enforcement agencies and the intelligence agencies, uh, both to spy on political opponents, but also uh, to use them in a way that could affect the outcome of the election, but also uh, to use them in a way that could affect the outcome of the election. Clearly, Attorney General Bill Barr knows this. Do you have a, a little update on uh, Seth Rich? You know, I, uh, I got some information from that woman to her podcast. Tori says um, that the law firms were now filing civil suits to invoke uh, evoke discovery because they're very worried about what information people might have on CrowdStrike. If I had created two SD cards and sent them off to the DOJ, right? You know, I'm sure that the other people that were in that huddle did the same thing. Could have been that maybe some of them actually work at the DOJ. You don't know that. Maybe they work, you know, for an agency and they're in that huddle too. You don't know that. I sent it off because I was like, and I've already said that, whenever I find any indication of a crime, I'll send it off. All of this, of course, will lead to thousands of sealed indictments. And this is this there's no doubt about it. According to Tori, she was party to a group of individuals working with this disgruntled DNC staffer trying to whistleblow on the DNC, rigging the Democrat primaries. Apparently, she was party to the phone call and actually heard the murder take place. Why did they come to me now, three years later? I think I was pretty vocal. I heard the audio the day Seth Rich died. I repeat, I heard it. Hence why Tori is now being subpoenaed in the Seth Rich murder case by none other than Barack Obama's attorney. I'm not a lawyer, 
but using civil litigation to gain insight to assist clients that are under criminal investigation is kind of illegal if that was proven to be motivation. What makes more sense? The Russians hacked the DNC server to help Donald Trump win the 2016 election? Or a DNC staffer leaked evidence of a criminal election meddling conspiracy by the DNC during the Democrat primaries. So it shouldn't be a surprise that as soon as we begin to unravel all of this, all hell breaks loose. Tory gets served a subpoena regarding the Seth Rich case. My electronics get hacked specifically looking for any whistleblower information pertaining to election fraud, the FISA applications, etc. I mean, this is incredible. This is where you see you are right over the target. Now that we've put more light on this, we can get into why the DNC stole the primary from Bernie. Why Hillary Clinton had to win the 2016 election at any cost. And why Donald Trump becoming president had to be stopped before he found out their dirtiest secret. But this is the subject of my next video. So stay tuned. Remember, I'm listener supported, so please go to InfoWarsStore.com to support my No, don't go to InfoWars.com and support her because they don't support her. Her video was banned from banned video. That tells you everything you need to know. All right. So as you see, as you see, this was a, a, a review for you guys, and I wanted to put it into context. As you see, it was all about her emails. So we're going to go into a very, very short intermission, listening to some nice music, and um, uh, I'll be back uh, in a little bit. Now, I found this really, 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 really nice cover, and it's like as if one of you is in my head, but I kind of like this song because transparency and truth. <laughs> I took a walk around the world to ease my troubled mind I left my body laying somewhere in the sands of time But I watched the world flow through the dark side of the moon I fear there's nothing I can do Yeah I watch the world flow to the dark side of the moon After all I knew it had to be something to do with you I really don't mind what happens now and then As long as you be my friend at the end if I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? If I'm alive and well, will you be there holding my hand? I'll keep you by my side with my superhuman might. Tonight. You call me strong, you call me weak, but still your secrets I will keep. I took for granted all the times I'll never let you down. You stumble in and bumped your head. It's not for me to you be there. I picked you up. I picked you back on solid ground If I go crazy then will you still call me Superman? 
rendition yes i uh really like it and someone had uh kind of gotten into my head and put that in the chat and i was like damn i didn't know that um some people <laughs> are in my head like that so where are we now okay so i saw someone say that president trump retweeted me I don't see it. Please, God, say it isn't so, because then there's going to be a target on my back. And I want to know what it was that was retweeted. So here is where it's going to get interesting. So the president yesterday tweeted, I have fully authorized the total declassification of all of any and all documents pertaining to the single greatest political crime in American history. Now, that is a very that is a. I guess that's an order. <laughs> so I take that as an order. Ergo, I'm going to go back to July. So I showed you how Millie was talking about it in a nice way, in a nice way, uh, explaining to people. And so yesterday I had a nice little huddle with a couple of people. And I was like, well, why is it that the, that the president all set up? The president is now, uh, you know, uh, allowing this to happen. Why is Ratcliffe slow walking everything? And I was really, really, really upset. So I was upset. Because. This should have happened a long time ago. It should have happened in 2019. Actually, it should have happened in 2018. The minute we saw Coates talk shit on our president on a global stage at the cyber conference. But anyway, the thing that was more troubling for me was the slow walking. And it was put into perspective, I guess more so because when you know things, right, when you actually know things, uh, it's very difficult to um, 
it's hard to conceal what you know and conform. And so here is um, where someone said, well, we've been telling our audiences, right? And through tweets and through writing and through videos, the truth. And they have been eased into it to understand it. And one person says, well, you've said you can't throw truth in someone's face. It won't be a brick. It'll be a board, uh, you know, a boulder. The red pill won't be a pill. It'll be a suppository the size of the moon. So it was all about easing people in. So this is how they do it. I mean, obviously it seems like they're at least seven months behind slowly doing it, but it is, um, it's being done. So I'm going to take you to uh, the portion of my walkthrough uh, that I did in July because they're telling you exactly what I had shown to you. I did a video. Look, this is the timeline. September 2012, Congress receives information. Now, let me be let me be very frank on this. OK. In 2011. uh Obviously, uh, I was I was tasked with uh, finding water passage for Chris Stevens. He was an ambassador at the time of uh, Libya. He was not, and so we arranged it with a Greek boat and sent him to Syria. And hence, this is this is why he became ambassador. That was a suicide mission. When uh, certain emails between certain leaders uh, were happening that were not on State Department emails, which means that nobody could have access to that, these communications, obviously, right? Um, I made sure to tell Congress and the Senate. And I sent them information. In 2011, December, uh, in the first quarter of 2012, and then in June, July, August, and even a couple days before the Benghazi incident, I sent them information. And it was uh, 72 hours before the Benghazi deal went down that I decided, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send these clowns information again, showing that she's using another email. But in that, I'm going to send them the blackmail they have on them. And I'm going to tell them the next person this is going to is everybody and their mother on a media list that the FBI has. And I will not care if their lives are destroyed, if it's fake or if it's real. I don't care. I said that clearly. And you know what sucks? The sucky part is, is that I had to use blackmail and put a put a per se gun to their head in order for them to do their job. And that's what sucks. Because why do I have to show you what this witch has on you, what they have on you, and why do I have to tell you about it 
Why do I have to say, well, you know, your shell company here is going to, oh, uh, hey, um, just so you know, Olin, this company, blah, 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 they know everything about it. And if they do, and I'm talking about it, I do. And if you don't do something, but you know, Olin was Owen's bitch, right? Lindsey Graham is a scared little, he got caught. He got set up. I get it. He got set up, but it'll ruin him. And he made money. He made money. So he's as guilty. So I had to send them blackmail. That's what sucks. I had to send them blackmail to say, I'm serious. You better do something. And what did they do? After the Benghazi incident, right? They decide to do what? Congress receives information from an anonymous source, a.k.a. my name is anonymous source, and had evidence that Hillary Clinton was using private emails and server for official use. That's where it started. So, you know, she changed her server, and then I had to send more blackmail to other people who then passed it on to someone else. Hey, you know, this isn't my domain, but I got this. Here you go. And I was like, listen, I actually got a response from one of them and get this, it was on a rocket mail email. I don't even have access to that anymore. I've been trying to access it like nobody's business. One, one of these senators responded saying, stop, I'm going to get it done. He's the dirtiest of them all. <laughs> he resigned in 2016. He didn't seek reelection. Uh, no. Yeah. He, yeah. He didn't seek reelection. Let's just put it that way. Um, so, you know, they then pushed in December and that kind of motivated them, uh, to subpoena for emails and everything that has happened since then has been about covering her emails covering her emails because see it's not just her on those emails i want to make that clear to you guys it's not just about her you think she's the only one orchestrating and making these deals dude you've got un officials you've got presidents former presidents presidents we're talking us then we've got prime ministers of other nations presidents of other nations crowns Sheiks, shakes, <laughs> princes, and whatnot on those communications. That's what happened. This was all about covering up. This was never about anything else except for covering up. So I'm going to go to this portion of the timeline here and play this for you. Because, you know, you should watch this. I mean, that's why I said it's not even news, right? It's not news. We've been talking about it for over a year. Millie Weaver made videos inching to it. And then I just made a whole timeline, just a video called the timeline for you guys to see. Here we go. It's a Warren on Ted Cruz, too, and others, uh, just so you know. Um, well, it's just Ted Cruz, I think, and... Um, uh, they were they were looking at Marco. He's like one of them. So, I mean, I don't even know why they were looking at him. But anyway, um, so they started this whole trying to plant things because now they didn't know who had this information, where it went. They needed to find out. So they started sending spies into all campaigns because they were like, holy crap, if, you know, this gets out and one of these candidates gets it, you know, they're going to use it against us this is blackmail. And I want you to think about it. <laughs> 
Okay, for a second. Google, you know, well, Silicon Valley, all of them. Imagine how much blackmail they have on all these clowns. Imagine. Imagine. Imagination. Just think about it. So anyway, so we go here where we're in March of 2016. They're starting to do plants. They're starting to do things. And then, you know, they hire at the beginning of April, they hire CrowdStrike. So um, CrowdStrike comes into the scene. And then just as CrowdStrike comes into the scene to supposedly assist in helping locate what the FBI was telling the DNCIT director, but he couldn't see any of it, right? The FBI slams them with like a request, hey, we need all these logs. So what do they do? They call in the lawyer of the DNC, Sussman. Sussman's like, yeah, we're totally going to give it to them. Maybe you should partner with CrowdStrike and they'll help you. So they start, you know, collecting because they know over days they're going to be uploading a lot of information to a secure, you know, cloud where to a secure cloud where the FBI will download it with a special key. Now, uh, about a day or two into that uploading this information for the FBI, you know, the uh, DNC IT director is totally looking at, you know, what's going on uh, in the DNC. Like he's just paying attention and suddenly he sees people hacking emails. Oh my gosh, what is the coincidence of that? Who is logging on, deleting emails and doing things? And he panicked. He got his whole team. We've got to find it. But it was someone anonymous hacking. So the anonymous person was hacking when they knew he was on 24-7 monitoring because he was sending secure information to the FBI. Total coincidence. Okay. So <laughs> they completed the transmission on April 30th. In May, Plaid River Networks actually imaged the DNC server um, publicly, right? And then CrowdStrike took control of the server data and said that there was a Stuxnet type infiltration and APT cyber attacks. Now, Stuxnet was something that was created by contractors back in the early 2000s under Bush. And I know they love to call it Russian, but it's totally not. Uh, it's part of Project Olympic Games. Uh -huh. Get it? And that evolved into D-U-Q-U. <sighs> so they say that's what happened. So then, um, you know, the then they figure out that um, they got confirmation that uh, they were able to finally track that the imaging device that was used by them, by the FBI or... CrowdStrike, whoever entered and imaged them, like Seth Rich, I don't know. Um, that imaging device actually uploaded all that data over a period of a couple of days, I think, um, okay, I'm not going to say, um, to a forum, like, you know, like a forum where people post, like you chat and it's like posting stuff and whatever. And they knew that it was ripped. So they traced it back to this anonymous board um, from some tracers that were on things. So now we go to June, CrowdStrike had already eliminated, bleached, assessed the DNC server, RNC server. They deleted all the emails they were hired to do. And they also gave, uh, you know, a report that the FBI so nicely took in where they used Chinese code and they you know, to mimic Russian code and made claims that Russia hacked the servers because there are 
um, programs like that. And it was so sloppy too, because you could totally see the scene. But anyway, so then in July, CrowdStrike was paid $150,000 by the FBI two days after Comey made his announcement that Hillary Clinton is not going to be prosecuted. She was just um, really careless. And they got a couple millions from Perkins Coy, Hillary from America, the DNC, Fusion GPS, and Penn Quarterly Group. Interesting. Isn't it interesting how they failed to mention that they had hired CrowdStrike? Why would they fail to mention they hired CrowdStrike? Well, you know, it would mean that the DNC and the RNC could not hire CrowdStrike either. It's like having the same company check its work and cover for it. Come on. So I hope you enjoy this. Uh, this is pretty groundbreaking because now we see that the FBI literally paid CrowdStrike and they called it an urgent critical component that was necessary. So they didn't tell us. I have put in here the transcript that clearly tells you how, you know, this gentleman had no idea. They wouldn't show him an IP address, you know, web domain, nothing. So this dovetails the article that I have on my site about Hillary and CrowdStrike. Uh, it is uh, in there. You can see all of it. Now, I can tell you that uh, I have been on this. I have been pushing on this since October 25th, 2017. I had sent everything off. And it was gloves off at that point. And my life changed forever. Forever. I mean, they keep saying 33,000 emails. That's their code. But it was actually 55,328. We got about five of them. So it's now 55,323 from what I know uh, of the emails. That 55,000, not 33,000. Let's, let's make that clear. Let's make that clear. So what we are fighting is something massive. And, you know, many people uh, that uh, know me and or many people that have been acquaintances with me, like I never pictured you as a person who would work with these people. And it's like, well, what do we usually act like? Man, let me tell you, when Admiral Blair accidentally slipped about these little secret intelligence group huddles that Barack Hussein Obama had. Man, I was secret. I was, when they were going to fire him, I was on that call. <laughs> they were discussing it. And so it was me and other people. Obviously, there's more of me. So that's why I'm upset. It's like, come on, man. Like, why? Losers. Why can't you come forward? Oh, because you're not afforded whistleblower protection? What, you're worried that they're going to kill you? Is death really that scary? Seriously. So um, I was, you, okay, I just want you to picture this, okay? Picture this. I am sitting in my dining room. I have notes everywhere because I'm studying for a test. I have my phone on speaker. My youngest is like, Hey mom, are we going to hang out? And I was like, you know, mommy has only this time that we're going to hang out. Sorry. I'm not coming with you and your sister and your dad. We're, I'm not coming with you guys. You guys are going, I have to study. I have exams. 
So I had a bunch of notes. So I was studying, had Red Bull, tons of cigarettes. Okay. Um, I remember choking on a grilled cheese sandwich when I heard them. And I was like, because I was cheering. I was like, oh, did he really slip? That's so good. That's so good. That's so good. He was fired after a while. Obviously, when he slipped. But, you know, I didn't keep my finger on the pulse then because I was busy. Do you know how hard it is to go to school, right? And, you know, when you're an adult, work, because I had like 100 jobs, fly around where you had to for work, right? Barely making ends meet, by the way, because, you know, the work I did didn't pay me that well. <laughs> okay? Ah. Uh. And trying to snitch on these guys without getting caught. Like, I'm going to tell you, they were so angry at one point because they were trying to figure out who the hell was sending Congress and the Senate, you know, how they were getting all of these emails about Hillary and how I warned them she was moving into Google One. And I was like, if you don't do something, I'm going to drop the blackmail on you, dude. Uh, that's like I had to threaten the guy so that Congress can move harder, but you know they missed the mark. And and I remember how furious, furious they were. And I'm like arriving, <laughs> and I get into the room. Oh, I'm sorry. And they're sitting there, and I'm like, all right, what do I do so I don't show emotion? And if I do show emotion, I can accredit it to the food that I'm eating. There we go. Food. So I walk in and I have, <laughs> I had a big, <laughs> I had a big, I'm sorry. I had a bagel in my mouth. As I walk in and I was disheveled, I had stopped at like freaking four different airports to get, because I had to be there. It's like, hello, telecommute. So it's like, I had a bagel in my mouth my hands in my pockets, my bag, you know, from my shoulder falling over. I was so disheveled and I walk in and everyone's just looking at me like, uh, like all angry. And the anger was who is sending all this stuff. We have tapped everybody. We are looking at Congress and Senate's emails. We see everything. We have been combing this day and night and we don't know where, <laughs> where this information is coming from because it's piggybacking on channels of non-attribution. What is going on? Guys, I was like smiling and one person turned around and said, what are you smiling at? And I was like, I'm trying to hold this bagel in my mouth and I'm drooling and I look kind of silly. You know, I'm still on Pacific time zone. Forgive me. Guys, I was like, oops. <laughs> I walked into the conversation quite awkwardly. So it was, it was pretty hilarious because it was me. And I was just thinking, uh... How am I going to get out of this without um, getting in trouble? <laughs> Easiest way to deflect is just put food in your mouth. That way, if you smile, if you choke, if you snicker, you can just say, oh, I was just like, you know, dribbling or I was chewing my apologies. And um, I actually learned that from someone that worked with McChrystal. Um 
and who, you know, was, um, he actually was at Fort Huachuca teaching interrogations, um, strategies. So, uh, you know, he told me, cause I told him every time we're sitting in a room, you're freaking eating. And he's like, it's the best way. So nobody can see if you're smiling or upset. And I was just like, Oh, food in the mouth, get it. And that's why I grabbed that bagel. <laughs> and it was the most <laughs> crappiest over toasted, you can't chew it bagel, but I was just holding on to it. I actually think I have a picture of me with a bagel in my mouth, which was um, a response to someone. Oh, this is from like a couple of years ago. That, that was a joke. Um, you know, my response to them when they said something, just a friend from a huddle. So I wanted to share that story with you uh, because it's really important that you understand that this Russia hoax was a manifestation to cover for her emails that turned out to be a way to impeach. And um, uh, this uh, cover-up for her emails turned into a way for impeachment. And that was through the guidance of uh, Chief Justice Roberts. January 5th, January 6th, conversation, 5th, 6th. There was conversations on the 12th and the 16th. So, you know, this is, um, this is how it was revamped. So what was used to cover their activities in respects to mining for any pingbacks, forwards, drafts, replies to any of her emails with people within uh, the DNC and the RNC, uh, they used the Russia hoax as a cover. And they decided, hey, we can use this cover and spin it for something against Cruiser Trump. And Trump was, you know, I mean... They can they can peek forward, but again, tor tor Taurus, right? So um, they can only see one type of version because of perspective. So they began that plan of mitigation. So I've always said the Russia hoax was never about President Trump. It was a cover up for the actual crimes they did which is covering up the NSA over collection and also covering up her emails. Now the NSA over collection was what helped them turn the Russia cover up for her emails into a coin um, operation against president Trump. So you understand. So there's a, there's a lot going on at the same time. So that was, um, that was one. Benghazi's not going away. And, you know, I, I yesterday, I, 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 you know, this didn't happen just with Hillary, okay? It's not Hillary and Obama that it just allowed this to happen. You have to remember that. There were many other nations like Crowns, the UN, hence why the UN is still in freaking Libya, you know, holding them hostage. So speaking of, uh, you know, panic, and uh, narratives, I think it's important to visit um, a few things that um, John Brennan said. Hold on. And I want to go to his um, show with Morning Joe yesterday and play this for you. I don't know if you guys heard him on Morning Joe, but 
This was interesting. Never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Well, these are adversaries whose principal goal is to undermine the strength of the United States. I mean, uh, Russia's primary goal is to weaken the United States. Uh, and when they, are, they now see a situation where the president of the United States uh, is ill uh, and somewhat incapacitated as a result of that, uh, there's no question in my mind that they are going to look for opportunities to take advantage of that. Uh, that's what adversaries are all about. And that's why it's extremely important to send a clear signal to the world uh, that uh, the president uh, and his staff are fully in charge of the responsibilities, not only to deal with domestic issues, but to deal with our national security issues. Those signals ought to be clear and they ought to be sent now. That's former Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta speaking with Andrea Mitchell yesterday. And joining us now, former CIA Director John Brennan. He's a senior national security and intelligence analyst for NBC News and the author of the new book, Undaunted, My Fight Against America's Enemies at Home and Abroad. Director Brennan, good morning. It's good to have you with us. We'll talk about the book in just a moment, but I want to just jump off what um, what Secretary Panetta was saying there. And as someone who was around, as someone who served in the Obama administration during the H1N1 crisis, obviously we didn't reach these levels with that. But what are your concerns right now in this moment when you have a president who is sick about what the world is thinking? Well, good morning, Willie. Uh, well, we all wish uh, Donald Trump a speedy and full recovery because I do believe the American people deserve to see Donald Trump resoundingly defeated in next month's election. But I am concerned about a couple of things. One is the reported side effects of the medications that he's been on. Uh, Dr. Manuel was uh, pointing out just uh, earlier that confusion, aggression, impulsiveness are some of those side effects. And the last thing we need is for a Donald Trump to be more confused, more aggressive, more impulsive than he already has been. Uh, secondly, I think uh, there is great distraction and preoccupation right now in the White House as far as uh, Donald Trump's health as well as the White House staff's health. And so their ability to respond quickly to any type of crisis, whether it be domestic or foreign, I think is rather questionable. Third, uh, I think a lot of uh, foreign adversaries, as Leon Panetta rightly pointed out, are looking for signs that, in fact, they can take advantage of the situation right now. Might Russia, Vladimir Putin, decide to do something in Belarus or China decide to do something in Hong Kong or the South China Sea, knowing that the national security hierarchy is, in fact, distracted as a result of this health crisis that we are facing? So you laid out a couple of scenarios. You led me to my next question is what what are some places where Russia or an adversary might look to move? We know that Russia is obviously ongoing and was in 2016 again now looking to interfere in our election process. Does this sickness from the president, does that change that dynamic at all? Well, I think it might, yeah, even though Donald Trump has turned a blind eye to a lot of these aggressive moves on the part of Vladimir Putin, or as well as, uh, um, you know, concerns about things that are going on around the world, that Donald Trump has his own agenda. But it's not just Donald Trump's health. We see that a number of senators have been, you know, felled by this virus, as well as other members of the White House staff. And so, again, what happens if there's a terrorist attack abroad? And there needs to be, again, a very quick and focused response and reaction to that. Uh, so I'm just concerned that, as Leon Panetta said, we need to have a very much in command national security structure at the very helm of our 
government. And if Donald Trump is, in fact, being waylaid by this illness, uh, we are, in fact, more vulnerable to being surprised and, uh, you know, by our adversaries uh, as they seek to take advantage of the situation. You've got a new piece up on NBC Think where you write about the Obama administration, which you serve in its handling of the H1N1 crisis. Uh, it goes without saying that the Obama administration handled that differently than the Trump administration has handled the COVID-19 crisis. Of course, the Obama. Yeah, we don't care. Let's go to the <laughs> let's go to the next uh, Brennan video that I wanted to show you. Here he is in his home. Totally relaxed. Um, is this it? Yeah, there it is. This is from October 5th. Uh, this is him um, relaxed at home. January 20th, 2017, I have been a private citizen. Before that, um, for most of that time, um, I was a U.S. government official. And um, I worked hard to defend the rights and liberties of the American citizenry to express their fair views openly and freely. And so maybe now I am taking advantage of that uh, <laughs> opportunity. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not just a question of policy differences, although I have policy differences with Donald Trump and the Trump administration in terms of what they've done as far as the Iran nuclear agreement and Paris Climate Accords and other types of things. That is fine. And I wouldn't be speaking out so vociferously if it was just policy differences. It is his dishonesty. It is his political corruption. It is, is his abuse of the office of the presidency that just gets to me and that I feel a responsibility and obligation to call him out for it. Hmm. It's his um, responsibility. Well, John, if you're listening, right? Undaunted. Huh. Facing danger courageously. You see how that works? You see how you get upset when you don't know what's happening, right? When you're confused. You see how that works? You're not the only one that knows those tricks. And that's how it goes. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that have uh, orchestrated this for a while, considering your... Mm, how do I say toxic influence? Because that's the next video I want you guys to see. How he says that he is a toxic. President Trump is a toxic influence to the Republican Party. You mean the McCain Party, right? Senator Portman. And people like uh, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham over all of the years that you've been dealing with them? Yes, there's, there's something that has happened to them as a result of Donald Trump's, I think, toxic, toxic influence and impact on the Republican Party. Uh, you know, I'm not a Democrat or Republican, and I worked across the aisle for many, many years. But ever since Donald Trump has become their president in the Oval Office, uh, he seems to have influenced these individuals to not carry out their duties and obligations faithfully. And so I just, you know, Lindsey Graham, who's somebody who has, you know, put a lot of time and effort and energy into national security and was a, a soulmate in many respects of John McCain. You know, and I think any principles or ethics or integrity that Lindsey Graham had, unfortunately, was buried with John McCain.
Uh, you tell the story in your book of briefing, uh, among others, Mitch McConnell in 2016 about the Russian interference in our election. Uh, and Mitch McConnell just reacted as if you were working suddenly for the CIA was suddenly working for the Democratic Party. Uh, was that a, a moment that you could not have anticipated with Mitch McConnell? Was that the first turning point you saw with him? Well, I think you know Mitch McConnell was always a very strong uh, partisan fighter, uh, which is his his right as the leader of the Republican Party in the Senate. But when he takes the um, his support for Donald Trump to the point of refusing basically to accept and acknowledge the considered intelligence judgments of the CIA and the intelligence community, claiming that we were politicizing the process just to try to prevent Donald Trump from becoming president. Yes, I think that he has abused his his office. And unfortunately, people like Mitch McConnell and Devin Nunes, who were in and are in important positions in the Congress, continue to carry out Donald Trump's wishes. And unfortunately, I think they are betraying their obligations to their constituents, uh, to this country. And that's why I think this coming election is the most important, certainly in my lifetime. Well, I think it's uh, time for us to partay. Uh, time, time for us to partay like it's 1999. Uh, <laughs> that'll be something that we need to do. Why? Do you see General Michael Hayden? Remember General Michael Hayden, who he is? He's one of the guys in Shadowgate. He was exposed, exposed, super exposed. And I want you to see how Republicans against Trump, right? <laughs> Senator Portman put this thing together. I want you to listen to him. He suffers aphasia as a result of a stroke in 2018. Yeah, because uh, but he's still getting contracts and he's still getting paid from the State Department, the DOD, DOE, Treasury, Intelligence Community. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. I'm Mike Hayden. I was the former director of the CIA and the NSA. If there was another term for President Trump, I don't know what happens to America. Truth is really important, but especially in intelligence. President I want you to remember, he is one of the Praetorians. He is making millions, if not trillions of dollars in his family with war, with selling America. He was there facilitating the monetary transactions between the United States government and ISIS. Ask me, ask me how I know, ask me, I've told you about my internship when I was at UBS. Oh, UBS. Huh? That's another story. I could talk about that because I was an intern in many, many places. So this is how they're coming. Huh? And it's funny how they came out just a couple days later. And it turns out, and I'm hoping that Millie Weaver actually comes out and creates a video, because what we stumbled upon um, after all this research with so many people, Patrick Berge has been an integral part of this. I mean, he is just priceless to the American awakening. 
Hence why he calls his website and his YouTube channel The American Awakening. The Great Awakening. Because these people were all in on it. I was the person signing the papers. I was the person making these connections. I was up until 2014. And unfortunately, until the Flynn case is done, Shadowgate 3 can't really drop because you'll understand in 2014 what happened to me and the real trouble I got into with them. Now they know. Now they really know. Because I know they're listening. So I want you to listen to what he says. President Trump doesn't care about facts. President Trump doesn't care about the truth. He doesn't listen to his experts. The FBI says white nationalism is a real problem. And the FBI wants to do something about it. But the president doesn't want to talk about that. He doesn't keep the country safe. It's unbelievable. You know what's unbelievable? That this guy helped take down General Flynn. I was 40 years in the military, okay? Alliances are wonderful. Alliances are win-win. Selling out your country to other countries and being under one governance is a win-win for them. And now I don't know what's happening to our alliances. Yeah, you know what's happening? Borders get redrawn every, every day, buddy. Alliances are formed and broken every day, buddy. The new alliances that President Trump has created that don't include the United States, but among them are highly important to the world. Because if America fails, the world fails. I mean it. If Trump gives another term, I think many alliances will be gone. They're already gone. And America will be alone. And that's a real, real problem. I absolutely disagree with some of Biden's policies, but that's not important. What's important is the United States, and I'm supporting Joe Biden. Biden is a good man. Donald Trump is not. Huh, Republican voters against Trump. <laughs> So this is what Matto displayed on her show. And everyone's like, yeah, go get it. First of all, let's look at the, the reality here. We've got a guy who they claim has aphasia from a stroke, right? So obviously his cognitive, uh, he's cognitively disabled. And he's going to be out there telling us which way to go. And that dude Matto was praising him like crazy yesterday. Not only that, apparently... An autistic, someone that has actually been deemed by doctors to be autistic and mentally hindered is up for Nobel Peace Prize. Suzuki 2.0, a.k.a. Greta. This is the world? Seriously? That's what they've got? Let's remember what, what kind of alliances and what kind of peace deals the president has been doing. We're here this afternoon to change the course of history. After decades of division and conflict, we mark the dawn of a new Middle East. Together, these agreements will serve as the foundation for a comprehensive peace across the entire region, something which nobody thought was possible. 
For generations, the people of the Middle East have been held back by old conflicts, hostilities. These agreements prove that the nations of the region are breaking free from the failed approaches of the past. Today's signing sets history on a new course. Today, the world sees that they're choosing cooperation over conflict, friendship over enmity, prosperity over poverty, and hope over despair. They are choosing a future in which Arabs and Israelis, Muslims, Jews, and Christians can live together, pray together, and dream together, side by side in harmony, community, and peace. Once again, let me congratulate the people of Israel, the people of the United Arab Emirates, and the people of the Kingdom of Bahrain. God bless you all. This is an incredible day for the world. An incredible day for the world. And they can't stand it. How dare these nations wish to have sovereignty? How dare these nations think that they can dictate their own nation's economy and agreements without our say-so? How dare they? And if you notice, Jake Tapper is where Brennan ran to when the handwritten notes were released. I want you to listen to what he had to say. Tell us about these notes that you wrote about this Russian intelligence. Uh, and what do you make of DNI Ratcliffe uh, releasing them right now? <laughs> well, John Ratcliffe is anything but an intelligence professional. He, it is appalling, his selective declassification of information that clearly is designed to advance the political interests of Donald Trump and uh, Republicans who are aligned with him. But uh, these were my notes from the 2016 period when I briefed President Obama and the rest of the National Security Council team about what the Russians were up to. And I was giving examples of the type of access that the U.S. intelligence community had to Russia, Russian information and what the Russians were talking about and alleging. Now, if, in fact, what the Russians were alleging that Hillary was trying to highlight the reported uh, connections between Trump and the Russians, if, in fact, that was accurate, and that's a big if, there is nothing at all illegal about that. And so John Radcliffe and others are trying to portray this as potentially unlawful activity that deserved follow-up investigation by the FBI. No, it was a campaign activity. But again, I was giving examples to the president and others of the types of access we had. And I was blind to whether it referred to one candidate or the other, I was blind to whether it would refer to one party or the other. And what I might also point out, I know that John Ratcliffe released uh, a memo that was uh, sent over to the FBI. It's called a CIOL, which is a counterintelligence operational lead, which was, again, a very selective release and declassification. There are a lot of other CIOLs that talk about the contacts that were taking place between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russians. So uh, he might want to think about trying to balance uh, some of these releases by uh, providing information to the American public about what the intelligence community had unearthed during this period of time about Russia's uh, interactions with uh, those uh, involved in the, uh, the Trump campaign. So if, if the election's contested, you know. OK, so let's let's take a let's take a little trip down memory lane, just a little trip to the McCain campaign. So John McCain, when he had a campaign, he had a lot of people working on it. Obviously, he had the Jones Group. He had 3DC, which included Manafort, Gates, and other people, including Tiny Prancer, right? 
And they made a lot of money, but there was one guy that um, nobody wanted to be associated with at all. And what was bizarre is, is that, uh, you know, nobody seems to be talking about this one guy um, who apparently was a really bad guy who did horrible things in Africa. Obvi oh, uh, parentheses here also worked with Epstein. I mean, a bunch of them did. So you have to think we have McCainers. Oh, uh, did I mention that uh, uh, Rob Portman uh was also thinking of being a uh, Mitt Romney's pick. I just wanted to point that out. So um, I want to take you back in time John McCain. to an advertisement, counter advertisement, which was all a bluff. It was all about money, never about him being elected. It was all about testing. And I told you that I'm going to take you to a very old, old ad. But I'm also going to tell you that McCain and Oleg Deripaska and Mr. Charles Black, right, and Brennan and all of these clowns, right, <laughs> they tapped into those old sources and friends uh, to get this Russia hoax happening. So you could take your CIOL because there's more coin out there than you know, Brennan. John McCain says we're fighting in Iraq to plant the seeds of democracy. But the firm of his chief political advisor, Charlie Black, made millions lobbying for the world's worst tyrants. Ferdinand Marcos, who executed thousands of his own citizens in the Philippines. Zaire's Mabuto, who publicly hanged his opponents and looted his country's vast mineral wealth. And rebel leader Jonas Savimbi, a mass murderer who covered Angola with landmines. Charlie Black said he didn't do anything wrong. John McCain should tell Black he did. Call John McCain and tell him to fire Charlie Black. MoveOn.org political action is responsible for the content of this advertisement. So, okay, so I thought I'd play that for you just to introduce you to a character that you don't hear about that should be coming into focus soon, right? Radcliffe, he should be coming into focus soon. Uh, and that would be the best strategy is to revive the old parties that tend to stick together. And that's how you do it. So let's go for a quick break. I really need a refill on my coffee. Um, and let's listen to this nice tune. Um, it's a nice cover. I like it. Packing my bags, going away to a place where the air is clean inside. There's no sense to sit and watch people die. We don't fight our wars the way you do. We put back all the no sense in doing such crime There's no principles in what you say No direction in the things you do Now your world so 
cover right um i really like his cover he's got a great voice he doesn't have much i'm gonna subscribe to him that's what's up he's got a really nice his name is james lee murray monday music series hmm love it now as i've said i tweeted out too interplanetary communication that's what i do so I yesterday I was just channeling in a little bit of explanation on how having only two poles makes absolutely no sense because it doesn't take into account other. Um, how do I say it? Centers of gravity. Tor, tor, Taurus. And um, so we're going to get a little bit scientific here. And here's how the science goes. So like I said yesterday in the morning, I said, you know, it would be important for us at this point to ensure that our people are secluded, 
and debriefed and ready. It's 27 days, right? So I want you to hear this and understand that I wouldn't say it's um, inter... I still got it. Let's just go. Here you go. After three days of treatment at Walter Reed, the president returned to Pennsylvania Avenue. President Trump saying he's ready to get back out on the campaign trail. And we'll talk to the Trump campaign about all of that in just a moment. But first, Chief White House correspondent John Roberts. He's live from the North Lawn to catch us all up to speed. Hi, John. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dana. And, and here is the latest. You know, we, we have been sort of looking at the White House as having its own outbreak. There was the Amy Coney Barrett event on the uh, 26th, and then there was a Gold Star Families event on the 27th here at the White House, at which the Joint Chiefs of Staff attended. And then there was the debate preparation, and then there was the debate. Well, now we learn that potentially as a result of that Gold Star Families event on the 27th, the entire Joint Chiefs of Staff have now had to quarantine after the Vice Commandant of the Coast Guard, Admiral Charles Ray, tested positive for coronavirus. So add the Joint Chiefs to the list of people now uh, who are taking precautionary measures as a result of some activity that occurred here at the White House, or potentially as a result of some activity that occurred here at the White House. Meantime, this afternoon, we're getting an update on the president's condition. His uh, White House physician, Dr. Sean Connolly, in a statement saying, this morning, the president's team of physicians met with him at the residence. He had a restful first night at home, and today he reports no symptoms. Vital signs and physical exam remain stable, stable with an ambulatory oxygen saturation level of 95 to 97 percent. Overall, he continues to do extremely well. The president obviously anxious to get out of the House, even if that House is the White House, and get back on the campaign trail, tweeting earlier today, I'm looking forward to the debate on the evening of Thursday, October the 15th in Miami. It will be great. That debate just nine days from now, the president would have to have three negative tests between now and then in order to make it. That would be an incredibly swift recovery, considering that he hasn't even passed the seven day period when people who are feeling better sometimes can suddenly turn and go downhill. Upon returning to the White House last night, and there you see the president, he was talking defiantly about the virus, urging Americans to adopt his we can beat this attitude. Listen here. Don't let it dominate you. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to beat it. We have the best medical equipment. We have the best medicines, all developed recently. And you're going to beat it. President Trump likes to channel Winston Churchill's never surrender attitude, though Rudy Giuliani earlier today likened the president's uh, talk last night on the South Portico of the White House to another U.S. president uh, from another generation and another crisis. Listen here. Reminds me of Roosevelt's message at the you know, beginning of his administration. The only thing you have to fear is fear itself. President's critics didn't see it that way. They felt he was being cavalier and reckless. But Dana, you know, it should be said that even though he did receive care that most people in the United States wouldn't receive, he did go through it so he can speak from personal experience. Dana? All right. John Roberts, thank you. So communications, let's talk about communications because Space Force is uh, obviously advising the Pentagon. And, uh, you know, as I said, it reminded me of um, Eisenhower's trip to the dentist uh, when he came back. Uh, the same look on his face and everything. So now I'm going to take you to a little bit of a rabbit hole. How will the Internet work in space, the interplanetary internet. 
I mean, if you've been listening to Tori says, you've been getting interplanetary communication. That's how I roll. There is a quiet revolution taking place above our heads as the future of the internet expands out into space and not just up to the ISS, but to the moon and beyond and into what will become the interplanetary internet. Now, some might be saying, why do we need an internet in space when there is no one up there? But it's not just for people that this is intended for. Current communications with spacecraft that go out into the solar system beyond can be torturously slow, not only because of the limitation of radio waves that have to travel at the speed of light, there's nothing much we can do about that, but the signals become so weak that the data rates are literally down to a crawl by the time they get out to the outer planet and make 1990s dial-up speeds look positively fast. New robotic probes and increasingly sophisticated spacecraft will need to relay back large amounts of data back to Earth and to other spacecraft if they are working together in a space network. Also, at some point, whenever we get people to Mars, they're also going to need high-speed data connections between here and there. Not just for spoken communications, but for the vast amounts of telemetric and video data that the missions will generate. Even though we haven't got a base on the Moon yet, the plans for an internet covering the Earth, Moon, planets and the space between is already well underway. We've had the internet in space for a while now, with a connection to the International Space Station. But for all the technology on board, they didn't have access to things like Twitter until 2010. This may seem odd, but fundamentally it's down to poor connection speeds, with the astronauts rating it as worse than dial-up. Okay for sending email and pictures and calling home, but not much else. The reason for this is that most of the internet now travels around the world over fiber optic cables and allows huge amounts of data to be moved around very quickly and very efficiently. But the ISS definitely isn't wired and there isn't a planetary Wi-Fi network they could tap into either. But over the last couple of years, SpaceX and other companies, including Facebook, have been taking what they think will be the first steps in rectifying that situation by setting up a planet-wide Wi-Fi network. SpaceX's plan is called Starlink and would use a constellation of over 4,500 small, low-altitude satellites which it hopes will be in place by 2024. Now, bear in mind that there are only about 1,500 active satellites in orbit now and about 2,600 inactive ones. So this alone would double the number of satellites. And that's without any others from the likes of Facebook and other companies if SpaceX's initial trials are successful. Now, while this may be the start of the internet in space, extending it out further is where a whole new set of problems start. One issue is the speed of light, be that radio waves or things like laser light. And it's not something we tend to worry about down here on Earth. At just shy of 300,000 kilometers per second, a pulse of light can travel around the Earth over seven times in one second. This allows us to have real-time communications even on the other side of the planet. But as we get further out into space, even the speed of light won't be fast enough to allow for real-time communications much farther than the moon. 
At 384,000 kilometers, there is a 2.5 second round trip delay for a radio signal to reach the moon and back. And that's assuming zero processing latency. This makes things like real-time remote control very difficult, but not impossible from Earth. But get out to the distance of Pluto, like the New Horizons spacecraft, and that round-trip delay is now increased to nine hours. Whilst the speed of light limits our ability to have real-time communications, it's not the only problem. Because of the huge distances, the radio signals we send, even if we use highly directional antennas, will still spread out and become weaker the farther they go. Radio signals follow the inverse square law, so for each doubling of the distance, you receive only one-fourth of the power. This is not so bad if you have a very large antenna or satellite dish like we do here on Earth. But on spacecraft, its antenna might be just a few meters across and only able to capture a very small amount of the original signal. As the power of a signal reduces, its signal-to-noise ratio worsens to the point where it becomes indistinguishable from the background noise and is lost completely. NASA can currently receive data from Mars at an average distance of 200 million kilometers from Earth at around about 1.5 megabits per second. But from Pluto, which is 7.5 billion kilometers away, that data rate is just 2 kilobits per second, about the same as a dial-up Usenet connection from the early 1980s, if anybody remembers those. At the moment, there are three space networks. The original space network was set up in the 1970s for communicating with satellites and spacecraft and uses 10 geostationary satellites and two ground stations to provide 100% coverage around the Earth for craft like the ISS and the Hubble Space Telescope. Then there is the near-Earth network with 17 ground-based stations that deals with communications and data with satellites in a variety of orbits up to and including the distance to the Moon. The last and most sensitive telecommunications system is the Deep Space Network, which supports interplanetary missions and has three ground stations at equidistant points around the Earth. So no matter what the position of the Earth is in, it still has a constant connection to any spacecraft out to the distance of the farthest ever man-made probe, Voyager 1, currently over 21 billion kilometers away. The trouble with all of these is that there is more demand than there is capacity. And with new missions from SpaceX, NASA, ESA, India and the UAE planned for the 2020s, as well as possible Mars missions, networks like the Deep Space Network will be reaching their limits soon with the relatively slow radio technology we have now, even though they are being constantly upgraded. This is where the first stages of the interplanetary internet are coming in. NASA is already testing a system called Delay or Disruption Tolerant Networking, or DTN, that is designed to overcome the problems of signal delays due to the vast distances, high levels of noise and solar interference, limited energy resources for spacecraft, and even cyber attack. The idea for the DTN is that it makes use of an automatic store and forward data network. This is different to the normal internet connection where there must be a continuous connection from the source to the destination for the packets of data to be passed from one node to another. In a DTN, the only requirement is that the next node be available, and if it isn't, then the data is stored until the communications can be re-established, which could be in a matter of seconds, minutes or hours later. Once all the data packets have been received by the destination, 
they can be reassembled into its original form. NASA first tested a DTN in 2008 with the epoxy spacecraft some 20 million kilometers away to act as a Mars data relay whilst epoxy itself was on its way to encounter Halley's Comet. This showed that other spacecraft on other missions could be used to relay data instead of using the normal direct communications method. So, whereas a direct connection between Mars and the Earth might allow up to 2 megabits per second, using a DTN through several nodes might allow 50 megabits per second from the Earth to node 1, and then 50 megabits again from node 1 to node 2, and then node 2 to node 3, etc., until the destination is reached. Each node would also be able to boost the signal sent to the next one, thus improving the signal-to-noise ratio and minimizing errors and the need to resend data, which could greatly increase the data throughput as well. Up to now, all long-distance communications use radio transmissions on the deep space network. This uses microwave frequencies in the S-band, 2 GHz, the X-band at 7 GHz, and the KA band at 34 gigahertz. Now, whilst these work well, they have a limited data bandwidth and the signal spreads out the farther it goes. But the future of deep space communications looks like it will be using lasers. NASA has been experimenting with optical lasers to transmit data between the Earth and the ISS using a system called OPALS, Optical Payload for Lasercom Science. Using lasers is the same method as we currently use to transmit data around the internet on Earth, down fiber optic cables. The laser light is pulsed on and off at very high frequencies in the same way, but in the OPAL system, they are then fired up through the atmosphere to an optical receiver on the ISS. Because of the much shorter wavelength of light compared to a microwave radio link, the OPAL system can deliver data rates between 10 and 1,000 times that of the current radio systems. Whilst lasers have a much narrower divergence over the same distance compared to radio and much lower error rates, one of the biggest problems is getting it through the Earth's turbulent atmosphere. NASA is working with Boeing for its adaptive optics, which compensates for the atmospheric distortion in real time by using high-speed cameras and mirrors. In one test between the ISS and Earth, a high-definition version of the Apollo 11 moon landing video was beamed up by radio and then back again by laser. It took 12 hours to transfer the video up to the ISS using the current radio uplink system, but just 7 seconds to send it back to Earth by the OPAL's laser system. For long-distance transmissions, lasers could also work much better than radio. In 2013, NASA conducted the Lunar Laser Communications Demonstration, or LLCD. Here they beamed a laser to a satellite in orbit around the Moon and then back to Earth. The test broke all current transmission records with a download speed to the Earth of 622 megabytes and an upload speed of 19.44 megabytes per second. That's some 4,800 times faster than the best radio uplink ever used. In 2019, a new set of tests using a near-infrared laser will begin that will hope help improve data handling, encoding methods and also tracking. Once in space, there is no atmospheric distortion to contend with, 
But the very narrow spread of a laser beam means that targeting of a spacecraft with a laser millions or billions of kilometers away will have to be very accurate from both ends for it to work correctly. A radio signal sent from Mars using the Ka frequency band will have diverged of a width greater than that of the diameter of the Earth by the time it arrives. A laser, on the other hand, will have diverged just a few hundred kilometers. This also means that less power is required to send the signal as it isn't spreading out over a large area and the equipment is smaller and lighter than the equivalent radio system. Future systems combining lasers with DTN networking should allow data transmissions even out to the edge of a solar system to be several orders of magnitude greater than they are now. And for the first Mars colonists, whilst they'll still have a delay time on the average of around about 20 minutes or so, at least they'll be able to tweet their arrival and send a selfie video back to Earth. If you want to be the first to connect up to the interplanetary internet, then our sponsor for this video, Hover, can be the perfect place to get the right domain like interplanetary.tech or firstinspace.com. Hover specialises in domains and has best in-class customer support complete with all the features you need to set up for planetary exploration. From huh. finding your perfect domain name to setting up your email so you don't need to use a Gmail address. I if that isn't enough, you can also... thought that that was quite interesting for you to see considering that we have, you know, some stuff, you know, Space Force is busy. They're busy guiding the hand of the Pentagon, Space Force. So we're going to go into this now. This is a report by ABC. Take a listen. Do you hear that? They're whispering, sir. That was the sound of astronauts in 1969. Tapes just made available from the Apollo 10 mission reveal an eerie experience they had on the dark side of the moon. That's the one furthest away from Earth. NASA says they believe what they heard was radio interference. But now, well, there's a local scientist thinking he's discovered the cause of another great space mystery. That scientist, the director of space programs at MOSI, spoke to the NOW's Adam Weiner about his groundbreaking discovery. Astronomers are always listening into outer space, so imagine you're listening closely for something as quiet as a pin to drop. Bam, you hear something as loud as books slamming on a table. That's what happened in 1977. And take a look at this. This is the actual a copy of the actual notes that this astronomer made back then. You can see he circled the moment that the sound happened, even wrote the words, wow. That moment in scientific history has become so well known that the sound he charted is now known as the wow signal. And with the use of radio telescopes, even amateur radio telescopes, Basically, we can sit there and record all these cool sounds. Some of them sound like uh, sonar pings from a submarine. Some of them actually sound like spooky sounds, like a haunted house. Professor Antonio Paris of the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa thinks the wow signal has long stumped scientists because they were distracted. Because everybody was looking for aliens. Um, for the most part, everybody's looking for a radio signal from an extraterrestrial, excuse me, extraterrestrial source. And I wanted to approach this from a natural phenomenon. So Professor Paris and his colleagues went back in time, tracking the paths of comets only recently discovered. With development of astronomy software, um, and, the, and NASA is using our like Wayback Machines to, to plot where these comets are moving through. Paris now thinks he knows what the radio telescope was pointing at. Two comets that were in the very same area during the same time and same date. So 
astronomically speaking, when you look at the universe, for these things to all be in the same place, it's one in a billion. His theory was just published for other scientists to study as well. I'm Adam Weiner for the Now Tampa Bay. Okay, so um, I thought that maybe we can just remind ourselves about that communication that they claim that transmission that was bizarre because uh, it's it, it's it's pretty incredible i found a great video where um it's t short concise and pretty interesting Columbus, Ohio, there's a slip of paper with a bunch of random looking letters and numbers printed on it. A few of the characters are circled and one word is handwritten in red ink. Wow. Those circled characters are the signs of an unusually strong signal from outer space detected in 1977. But we still don't know exactly what it was and we never found it again. There's a theme that tends to come up a lot when you're talking about space. With so many planets and moons scattered throughout this universe of ours, where are all the aliens? So some astronomers spend their time looking for extraterrestrial life by broadcasting carefully crafted messages to space. But what if there's intelligent life out there that's doing the same thing, sending messages to us, or even just broadcasting signals that we could pick up from here? That's why other astronomers and some entire organizations spend their time looking for alien signals using radio telescopes. Lots of things in space naturally emit radio waves, and radio telescopes are designed to capture, focus, and read that energy. By analyzing the data collected by these telescopes, researchers can learn new things about the universe, like where there might be undiscovered galaxies. But organizations like SETI, or Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, also like to monitor the data. They're looking for something out of the ordinary, like patterns or especially strong signals that might mean they were sent out, purposely or otherwise, by an advanced civilization on another world. These days, we can come through the data automatically using computers, but back in the 1970s, it was done by hand, which is where a volunteer named Jerry Amon comes in. A computer hooked up to the telescope would print out the data collected as characters arranged in a grid. And on August 15th, 1977, Amon was looking through some of these printouts when he saw a sequence of characters that meant the telescope had detected a signal 30 times the strength of the usual background radio waves. A signal that went on for 72 seconds. 38 years later, we still don't really know what it was. Once Eamon found and accidentally named the wow signal, scientists wanted to see if they could find it again. They were able to narrow down the possible sources to somewhere in the constellation Sagittarius, possibly near the M55 star cluster, but never detected it again. So where did the signal really come from? Scientists aren't sure. For one thing, it could have just been a computer glitch, but it probably wasn't because the signal wasn't the sudden constant spike in the data that you'd expect to see if it was just a glitch. Instead, it gradually rose to a peak and then fell again as the telescope passed a certain area of the sky. It also could have been caused by something natural, like a pulsar, a rotating star that sends out beams of radio waves in pulses. But then, astronomers would expect to see the change through a lot of different radio frequencies. Instead, the wow signal was only detected on one channel, and a special one. 1420 megahertz, the same band that's naturally emitted by hydrogen. If you want to send a message that says, hey, there's intelligent life over here, picking the same frequency emitted by the simplest element in the universe is a pretty good way to do it. In fact, it's such a strong possibility that extraterrestrial life would use that band that using the frequency on Earth is illegal under international law. Nobody wants to get all excited about a possible message from aliens only to find out that it was a local radio station broadcasting the nightly news. In 2012, on the 35th anniversary of the detection of the WOW signal, the National Geographic Channel decided, as part of a promotion for an upcoming TV series, to use the Arecibo Observatory in Puerto Rico to send a call to 
reply to the wow signal. They compiled all sorts of messages, like tweets from the public and videos from people like Stephen Colbert and Layla Lopes, who was Miss Universe at the time. Then they sent them toward the places the wow signal might have come from. But space is big. Even traveling at the speed of light, the message still wouldn't have gotten there yet. Proxima Centauri, the closest star to our solar system, is about four light years away. The M55 cluster, on the other hand, is more like 17,000 light years away. Even if there is someone listening and they decide to reply, it'll be a future generation of scientists that get to hear the reviews of Stephen Colbert's sense of humor. And until then, or until we detect more clues, the wow signal will remain a mystery. Thanks for watching this episode of SciShow Space, and thanks especially to our patrons on Patreon who help make this show possible. If you want to help us keep making episodes like this, just go... Okay, so that was that. Now I'm going to take you to the... <laughs> to listen to what... um. See, if you understand numbers, right, you understand communication. So I'm going to remind us, for those of us that are old school that know, what does dial-up sound sound like and why does it sound the way it does? Uploading, downloading, disseminating. Mm. I love sound. You know the one. But why does it sound that way anyways? And how come every time you connect to the internet, it mostly sounds the same? Well, today we're going to be analyzing the sound through a spectrogram to see exactly what's going on. It turns out that all those sounds have a key role during the process, or a handshake. Now keep in mind that this specific track we're going to be analyzing isn't actually recorded by me. It's something that I found online. Even though I do have Windows 95 VMware running on my computer, I can't actually connect the modem to it. Because it's a laptop. Now, without further ado, let's go and analyze the track. First off, let's hear the track in full. Now first, let's start with this clip. This right here is a dial tone. If you don't know what a dial tone is, it's just something that the phone does to ensure that it's ready to make a call. But keep in mind, this is not a phone doing this, this is a modem. Now next up is this. Now what modems and services usually do is call an actual number. In fact, I'll put a cool AOL number searching thingy in the description. What's weird about this number, though, is that it's 12 digits long, suggesting that it might be from China or Finland or something like that. Now here's where the real handshake begins. Now we're going to be analyzing these four beeps. It's important to note that this signal is coming from the other end of the line, or the answering modem. Basically, the modem on the other end is trying to initiate what's known as a modem protocol standard. Using one of these standards means that both the calling and the receiving modems can talk in a language that they understand. Most commonly, the V8BIS standard. Once the receiving modem requests to switch into a standard, then it will emit this tone. Now the receiving modem wants the calling modem to list a standard that's capable of doing, which there are a whole bunch of, and they can all vary in speed. This tone is the calling modem accepting the request. This tone is the calling modem trying to switch into information transfer mode which is a fancier version of data transferring except with user-related information. If you forgot what these tones sounded like, then let's play them over one more time. 
Also, I'll use little modem icons to signify whether the signal is coming from the calling modem or the receiving modem. Now we know that the modems are ready to transfer information, but what kind of information? Well, we're about to see. Next up are these three thingies. All of this is the data in question. All of this is binary and is being translated through a process called frequency shift keying. This bit right here is coming from the calling modem. It includes some of its most basic modulation protocol standards, which is more often than not B8. BIS. This bit also includes information on whether or not it can signify acknowledgement, which it probably can, and some other information if it somehow be needed. This right here is coming from the receiving modem. It's suggesting which modem protocol standard to start out with. Not necessarily keep all the way through. After all, there are other much faster standards. This final bit right here is coming from the calling modem and does nothing else except to say, okay, I agree. Now let's listen to this part one more time, and again, I'll put the little icons up there. Next up is this part. This tone is emitted by the receiving modem. This tone disables echo suppression, because if echo suppression was enabled, it could corrupt data. But what is echo suppression? Well, let me explain. If you're talking to your phone, then there's a chance that you might be able to hear yourself on the other end, which can get pretty annoying. So that's why phone companies have echo suppression, so that won't happen as much. Now that's good for people when they talk on the phone, but bad for modems. Because as I mentioned before, it could corrupt data being transmitted over the phone lines. So that's why we have this tone. This bit is emitted by the caller modem, and it's just the same thing played over six times. The calling modem is giving some other information, but mainly two things. First, it lists all its possible standards, and second, it lists its type of connection to the public switch telephone network, which could be either a landline, cellular, or even a satellite, just to name a few. This last bit is emitted by the receiving modem and is repeated three times. It, too, is also listing its standards and type of connection to the network. Now let's move on to the probing segment. In order to understand this, let me explain carrier waves. Carrier waves are modulated waveforms that carry information. The carrier frequency is the center frequency of that carrier wave. All of this is coming from both the calling and the receiving modems, and it's basically them trying to settle on a carrier frequency. This part also defines the modulation rate, which is very similar to the bit rate, as in they both define the bits per second. So basically, how fast can we do all these ones and zeros? Now one of these tones, well actually it's a whole bunch of tones, but one of these tones comes from the calling modem, and the other comes from the receiving modem. These layers of tones are probing signals used to measure the actual telephone lines, that is if the connection is over a landline or not. This tone is emitted by the calling modem and is a list of achievable bit rates and modulation rates. This part is coming from the answering modem and is the answering modem deciding on a final bit rate as well as a final modulation rate. If there are any issues for this process, then they're all stated throughout this part. So they can be compromised later. Now let's listen to this part one more time. Next is this part. And of all this data, some of it has to do with the final, final decision of the bitrate. Most of it, however, is just random data. This one's coming from the receiving modem, and this one's coming from the calling modem. They have to learn how each of them sound in order to set up a full duplex transmission mode, which will allow them to talk at the same time. Now, this one can't usually hear over normal circumstances, but we're going to play it anyway. <laughs> 
This right here is the sound of victory. It means that, yeah, you did it. Everything you did so far is successful. This is admitted by both the calling and the receiving modem. Because they did it, they can talk at the same time now. This is your data. This is what you came to the internet for, whether it be text or text. Now, before I end the video, let's recap everything. Dial tone, then dialing a number. Requesting to switch into a modulation method and then accepting. Figuring out which standard to start out with. Disabling echo suppressors and then listing modem standards. Deciding bit rates and measuring phone lines. Sending a whole bunch of random data in order to set up a full duplex. And lastly, signifying that the connection has been accepted and receiving all the text you're going to be reading. Thanks for watching. If you want to see some of my sources, check the description. Good day. All right, Tori, what kind of rabbit hole are you sending us in? Communications. Communications have a sender and a receiver. Receptors. You know, there's a misconception, and I, and I want to state this, vibrations and frequencies. So we, have, we are under the impression that light moves. And that was determined by someone creating a constant by saying that light moves through a vacuum at 299 blah, 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 blah seconds. Well, if you take light out of the equation as something that moves but simply bathes everything in, then everything else moves within the medium of light. And this is how we get prisms and the bending of light. Now, what does this have to do with our current events? Well, it comes down to communication and energy. So if you take it into consideration that light simply is the backdrop, the foundation, the source of all, and that everything else moves within it, then it all makes sense. So if light exists and simply is with no travel, no vibrations, just is, then everything else moves within it. Now, uh, remember when you were kids, uh, you went to school and you learned about colors, right? And how your eyes can only see a certain spectrum and your ears can only hear through a certain spectrum. Light, white, they'd say, white is the absence of color and black is all colors together. So in essence, darkness has all the hues of colors together and white is the absence of color, movement, change. So the constant would be light. If you take that into consideration, then... All the science you learned on your base 10 scale is wrong. It's completely wrong. So how does this tie in with communication? Well, if light is the medium, 
And communication is what travels and communicates. Then, where are we? We're at the point that we understand that the communication that we receive or what we comprehend is on, as you saw, 72 seconds with two intervals of 17. Numbers again. Damn. Right? Numbers again. Let me rephrase. There's many times that I say, sometimes you're just not ready to hear it. So even if you hear it, you can't hear it. You're simply listening. Many times that I've said that you can't see it because your eyes can't see it yet. That's because of the constraints that we have in our reality, the conformity. See, one thing that we all learn very quickly at a young age is how to conform to society and how we conform to receiving information, not only transmitting it. So when transmission, oh, I'm trying to, to see how I can put this. Man, there's only 27 days left, right? Well, it's the 5th of November that's the problem. Base 60 math is a faster way of doing math. Base 10 is a slower way of doing math. So if you're doing something slower, you're conforming instead of being instant. Oh, gosh, it's not coming out the way I want you to understand this. Screw it. <laughs> no. Their kryptonite is light, right? Exposure. Transparency, as we call it. So if there is a way that they can reflect light, meaning obscure light, that means that they can obscure the message of communication. Yesterday, I introduced you to a laboratory that's flanking Rolla's National Airport. Their job is to manipulate light. Now, if light doesn't travel and simply is, then their job is to do what? Exclude light. The exclusion of light allows for nefarious activities, yes? So you are able to reflect the light. You are allowed to show the world the image you want. So the question is, is not having light a bad thing at a constant, or is it a necessary evil, as one might say? So evil is done in the darkness because there is no light. But if light is the foundation of darkness, right? It's the foundation. Because what is darkness? The grouping of all colors. It's like uh, the signal that you heard now through AOL. It's noise. It's a lot of noise. 
Black is all colors. White is no colors. So how do you obfuscate information to the people? Through smoke, mirrors, reflection, deflection. What happens when you crack one of those mirrors of false information? You start to see the colors, right? You start to see the information piercing. So when we say dark to light, does it mean that we just turn on the light? Light is always present in darkness because it never goes away. It's just muffled. So when you have all these colors giving you black, giving you dark, giving you pitch black where you can't see straight, and one of them shatters, then light creeps in, which is the basis. So light is always there, that foundation. It doesn't move, it doesn't travel. You know, I, 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 there aren't many people, uh, you know, that have gone through our times that have pondered on this. And, um, you know, there have been very few scientists and philosophers, and you'll be very impressed to see that the majority of these scientists believe in the existence of good only because good is always present, even when evil surrounds it, because it's the theory of light. Light is static. You bathe in light. It's a light that you cannot describe. It is the foundation of all. You cannot have the color black without all the colors. So the variations from light to from from white to black, the green, the yellow, the reds, the purples, all of them smushed together give you giving you black. That is the distance or the uh, hues of truth where the foundation is laid naked as just stark white. So the hues of truth. I mean, you're going to see this today and you're going to be like, wait a minute. I think Tori was trying to tell us this, but I didn't understand it. The hues of truth that are between the actual truth and obviously the blatant lie. So if you go from white, you go to, I don't know, light blue, green, yellow, you start going and going. And if you take your crayons, all of them, and you start coloring one color on top of the other, in the end, you're going to end up with black because you have so much noise from all these colors that you can't see the paper you've been drawing on layers upon layers. But now what happens when, you know, you scratch that wax and you can see the white and it comes through where the light is seeping through. Mm. Different hues. I don't want to say diversity. I want to say different hues. So this leads back to where you, you resonate transmitting and receiving information. What hue are you in? 
Are you in the pink, the yellow, the purple, the green, the blue? How are you transmitting and emitting information and communication? That's the question you should ask yourself. Because right now, what we need is to take away those layers and roll it back. And when you roll back layers of color to go back to the beginning or to the origin, you start to understand. You know, we talk about interplanetary communication, internet communication, mobile communication, written communication, audio communication, visual communication, all that communication, right? But when do they stay on a constant where you can understand? And this is where uh, theories of quantum entanglement come in. But think of that, that concept of black and white. And I want you to forget what everybody says. Oh, the light, speed of light is this and it's a constant. Why did they say it's a constant? Because it always is and always was and never is without. So if you take the light as the foundation to all this garbage that we have around us in your life, in, in your surrounding life, in our politics, in our current events, in our nation, in your house, in your neighborhood, if you realize that behind all that, when you peel it back, it's just light and light doesn't move. It never gets displaced. It is always there. Then what? Then you are able to be receptive. Anything that vibrates and moves is malleable. Hence why I say when we peek forward and we come back, only the present can be changed because to, to change the future rather than the past. You can't transport and make changes to something that already exists. You, in a second from now, don't exist, but you will. Uh, this is coming out a little bit more muffled than I wanted. And it's really important because communication is going to be key right now. Uh, the thing is, I hope you're ready to receive that information. You've been receiving that information through various methods for the past three, four years. But are you able to digest the fact that light simply exists and does not move? Uh, I hope that clears what I'm trying to say without saying it. Gosh, darn it. I hate it when I do that. And that's because I can't say, but for example, the highest ranking members of the FBI, the NSA and CIA were not only spying on the president, right? They were orchestrating a coup against us. And so if you want to use the color method that I'm trying to say, we have the CIA as um, red, uh, NSA is yellow, uh, the FBI is blue, the Democrats is purple, the crowns, the losers, everything. 
And so you have all these colors and they come and they walk on your territory, yourself, your own being, your white light, your light. And they start to come together and create this, this interruption in your ability to see your canvas. And so when you start to parse them apart, it's, it's, it's actually very, very scary. Think about it. You start to remove all layers down to its core slowly. And this is why it's been over four years of removing layers upon layers upon layers. You know, you would never think that the Russia hoax was actually a cover-up for, you know, their NSA over collection and her emails and that it would go back to 2012 and that's what they were covering up. Actually, 20, 2008 and even before that, 9-11 and even before that, JFK, I mean, we still don't have those documents, uh, you know, released. So if you see layer upon layer upon layer, if you understand that from the black darkness of all these colors in, you start to strip them one by one, you then start to understand that it's clear now. So in the example of our government, it would be considered the advocation of overthrowing our government. Treason, sedition, all different colors, but from different areas. So let's say we took out orange right? That's one of the most biggest on the color scheme. It's like in between red and yellow. <laughs> I don't like orange. I like green. I like green. So understand that the communication that we are receiving from all avenues is to be interpreted with the understanding that light is a constant, does not move, does not travel, does not have a speed. Uh, and then it makes sense. Then it makes sense. Oh, geez. I, I really planned it out differently because I wanted you guys to see the specific numbers of the wow signal so you can understand how that applies today. Um, I mean, in 1982... Um, the wow signal was cracked and there was like this big album and I have an album like that. Um, it's not yet time. I think that's going to be for Shadowgate three, but in 1982, they actually cracked what the wow signal was that 72 seconds, that handshake and where it really was coming from. So 1982, um, is where you need to um, look to figure out, I mean, if you're into that, to look at the frequencies and communications and how everything changed. Uh, light is the medium, does not move, simply exists. So it's omnipresent, period. Does not move, has no frequency. That totally throws uh, most uh, scientists into, you know, tits up. But you know what? What is a scientist? You know, scientists that that sit there and give you explanations based on other explanations, right, aren't really scientists. They're mathematicians. I say that. Real physicists explore the relationships between it. But anyway, I won't get into that. 
Hence why we have a lot of rainbow movements too. Color, color, color. That is a frequency that we resonate on. Uh, this is why we have synesthesia and we can see colors. Our brain works differently, especially when it comes to communication and interpreting that in, in communication. So um, I hope that helped in some way. Um, answering some of these uh, questions uh, because I know a lot of people wanted to say, whoa, the wow signal was, you know, aliens. But I mean, do you know what space is? I don't think anybody knows what space is, what that darkness, that mm, insane amount of color is. Uh, that's, that's basically it. I think maybe this can explain a little bit more. So I'm going to play this again. I've been playing it for a while only because I want you to remember this. It's not, it's not for now. It's for like January. But I, I wanted to kind of bring this into full circle for you. Take a listen. The current commander of the International Space Station about to break a big record tonight. Here's ABC's Gio Benitez. They call it the Peggy Factor, Mission Control's code word for the way superstar astronaut Peggy Whitson always gets the job done. I love it up here. Tonight, Commander Whitson making history with her record for any American. By the time she lands in September, her tally will be 666 days. 666 days in space. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I go to the moon in a nanosecond. Uh, the problem is we don't have the technology to do that anymore. We used to, but we uh, destroyed that technology and it's a painful process to build it back. So I'm not promoting flat earth theory. Let's just get that straight. It's just that that's the video that had it there. Um, I just wanted to show you how in zero G on the ISS, uh, they dropped the screw. Lies are everywhere. And that's the darkness. Okay. That is the darkness. And anyone that does not conform to society, because beating, being mediocre, and I heard this this morning, being mediocre is does not raise any suspicions, right? <laughs> right? So um, everything that everyone is deriving from the communications, from our political atmosphere, from our science, from our truth is all skewed because think about it. Uh, it's kind of like all everyone's in a box with a reality that has been given constraint. Right. You've been given a constraint uh, and, and chains of a reality that society has caused you to conform to. And so and therefore, therefore, when you try to make uh, assumptions or derive answers that fulfill you, that fulfill you, you unfortunately are giving those answers through what you are able to interpret based on the conformity you already are subject to. So I, I, I'm just pointing out that there's a lot, uh, yeah, coloring within the lines. There's a lot 
from every aspect of your being that is being obfuscated. And I know that through this show, I have been trying to just focus on the things that within the constraints you are afforded and all humans are afforded to understand it. Um, hence why I use a lot of examples. I was really hoping that the color, I mean, it sounded more to me, but you know, I, I know it. And you know what? Maybe I just don't understand how to convey it. Uh, because, you know, then we get into to, to more um, scientific uh, notions that is uh, kind of confusing. Like yesterday, I wanted to simplify uh, the theory of, of the Taurus uh, because Kepler, for example, he was so close, so freaking close with his law of elliptical orbit, so close, like he could taste the brass ring. He was very close to discovering that there's four magnetic poles, not two, four, four, okay, four. That is real science, uh, four. And if you think about it, four poles, four poles, kind of looks like what they're trying to do with our whole space uh, force uh, internet here from what you see from the image. So he was very close to showing that there are four magnetic poles, because that makes sense because, you know, you have a dual opposed balance of a two way universe. So if you had only two magnetic poles for a 3d universe with time included in that, it's completely impossible. It is impossible to have a 3d universe with time intervals in it and only have two poles. So if, as you're looking at this image, as I'm telling you this, and understanding that it is impossible to have two magnetic poles and you and you've been taught about the wobble you've been taught about rotations in your construct i'm just saying so in order to have your universe be at balance you have to have two poles that control the genero active force the centripetal one right where it's like i'm turning right so two of those to hold it, right? In order to turn something, it's got to be, think of turning a disc, right? You've got two poles, two hands, one pulling, the other one pushing, right? Okay, so that's one. But you have to have another two poles to compensate the radioactive force that exists, you mean the light that basks as the medium, and the centrifugal force, that wobble you feel. So hence the the statement that I've been making over and over again, Tor, Tori, Taurus, and talking about four corners of the earth. This is an old saying. You know, I mean, they're not crazy. Those people back in the day survived without the internet. Uh, those people survived and created the past that we have built on for the today. So, uh, I wanted to make it clear that everything, everything um, that you understand to be so is skewed to comply with the conformity. And uh, many people have been taught, and I'm sure many of you, uh, you know, you don't talk about things that you 
don't find right because, you know, you've learned to hide and conceal uh, the level of intelligence you may have in certain facets of uh, science, of political, societal uh, commentary. And, and that is because you have made a conscious choice to stay within those constraints. And uh, right now we're 27 days out. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Some people are just getting lost. So I'm going to end it there. I wanted to just make it clear that if we understand that there's a basis of falsities being stated and what is happening outside of the political sphere, then the political sphere and what you're seeing makes sense. You're then able to peek forward yourself because you can accept the transmission, basically, um, of information. Uh, and um, that is how you understand things. Oh, man, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going <laughs> to, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to leave this live on this, but I'm going to leave it right there. As uh, it sounded better in my head um, this morning, as opposed to how it came out of my mouth. And that's because I was, um, I was hoping that I can provide an, a view from the moon so you can understand it because the view from the moon is better. Uh, so on that note, I want to wish you guys a fabulous evening. See you manana, same time, same place. Stay frosty. Hey. Me, I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start.